world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be! See, I actually do have on DVD um, the, the I don't remember which show it is. It's one of the Super Sentai shows. It's the one that they used footage from to create the original Power Rangers. So it has Rita Repulsa and it has Goldar and all of them, but that's not what they're called. And, you know, all of the scenes of the Power Ranger characters out of costume are, you know, the Japanese actors. Yeah. And yeah. again, Goofy and, and the Yellow Ranger and is Sin not a girl. Oh, and the Yellow Ranger is actually a dude. Um, because the Yellow Ranger in the, uh, that, that sounded like I was angry that the Yellow Ranger was a, was a <laughs> okay, well, anyway, yeah, the Yellow Ranger was a dude, which means that the Yellow Ranger, you know, the, the lack of a skirt was, uh, because it was performative gender identity and gosh, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Anyway, the point is it was fun and it was goofy and better than the, than the American show. <laughs> so, so it'll bring it back around. The whole reason we have any of that is Spider-Man. Was Spider-Man the first? Really? Spider-Man is like the first like Sentai super robot show. Japan was very like, I don't know about this whole teen hero thing, says the land of anime. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they aged him up and they made him very much not Spider-Man. He has a gun. He calls himself the emissary from hell. He summons a giant <laughs> robot called the Leopardon. Uh, so like... Leopardon? I think no, no Charlie the Unicorn. But I don't. But point point is like the whole reason we have Power Rangers and like Voltron and maybe even like Ultraman and a lot of that stuff. Spider Man. He had a gun and he was he was like a sheriff from hell. <laughs> the emissary. <laughs> I came like here to sling webs and shoot bullets, and I'm all out of webs. That's... And he's and he's now like colloquially called a Supida Man because that is the Japanese pronunciation. So if you ever talk to anybody about Supida Man? That's who they're talking about. Hey, speaking of the world's easiest transition, we read a Spider-Man comic. This is the Superhuman <laughs> Registration Podcast. We're here to talk about the comic. Took us a minute, but we got there. Supida Man. People people want Supida Man for Into the Spider Verse too. I heard a rumor. I don't, but like, I don't know if rumor is actual thing or just wishful thinking. Anyway. Um, we, uh, did read a Spider-Man comic, and we read a Thor comic, and we're here to talk about them. I'm Steven, and I've got John and Aldo with me on the line. You guys doing okay this evening? I just... I am okay. I, yeah. I was gonna make a joke, now I'm not going to. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for you to say something, and you did it, so then I went. (laughs) Oh, and my glasses just broke. No! Did you shoot your eye out? Were you playing with your, uh, Red Rider BB gun out behind the house? (laughs) No, I just adjusted my glasses. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's sad. That makes me sad. Adjusted them clean. Now I gotta go yeah. find my spare set. I just got this image of Aldo like digging around in the mud for his glasses, going, "My glasses! I could buy more glasses." <laughs> <laughs> and then you come back in the car, and me and Steven are in there, and we spit on you. <laughs> You guys, you guys go on. Uh, I want to run you over when I come back down. 
<laughs> so where do we want to start tonight? I just want to. I want to go watch. Uh, I want to go watch Jurassic Park. I almost watched that the other night, and then realized that I could watch the Batman uh, streaming on HBO Max. So I started it. You know what my favorite part of the Batman was? I think what the part where the soundtrack goes dun 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 dun. It's Michael Giacchino, man. It's actually really good. Like when I say it's my favorite, yeah. Part, I'm actually not kidding. I love yeah, that. it's like his footsteps out of the dark. Like his for the first time he appears, like they they made it darker in that hallway than it really is. Like you know, you get to see the the panic in the uh, you know the street gang. I don't know. I liked it. I thought Colin Farrell was incredible as the Penguin. Yes, yes, absolutely. And John Turturro is great. Batman was dumb. Yeah, he's he's still new on the job. Yeah, but I, Aldo said it in the chat. I don't think we've gotten, like, a good detective Batman yet. This is as close as we got, and it was still like, all right, well, you know, you're not, like, you know, <laughs> like, bringing these riddles to Mensa meetings. Like, hello, fellows, check these out. These are some brain teasers. Like, this is, you know. This Batman's an idiot, and I love him for it. <laughs> I, th- I liked it. I liked the movie a lot. Yeah, no, same. I'm not saying it was bad. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think it might have been Batman was not very smart. <laughs> I still liked it, but I think it might have been bad. Uh, I think uh, Alfred would have been justified in showing Bruce the back of his hand. And he's like, you're not my father. And it's like, we've settled this. <laughs> In years of Batman mythos, I am your father. Because because of how much I love how terrible this Batman is. Not just that Batman, but like kind of being a human person like at all. <laughs> I love the fact that he's sitting there because he's worried about Alfred, right? Mm-hmm. Waiting for him to wake up out of his coma. And the first thing he says to me is like, why'd you lie to me? <laughs> he's, he's like, nah, so I, full of I, angst. <laughs> he's perfectly justified if, uh, if his response would have been like, I didn't lie to you. I was in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> no. I was actually <laughs> sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying I know this is a serious movie for serious adults who, who are too old and too serious for the Marvel movies <laughs> we could have used one joke at least from Alfred we could have used like maybe two 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 giggles there was a giggle that would go you got a lot of cats I laughed when uh, uh, the penguin thought he got away and then the bat car leaps out of the flames I didn't particularly care for the bat car design but how it was used was spot on oh I love the bad car. Sorry. I love the bad car. I... <laughs> okay, I still think that the best bat car is probably the one from the, the animated series. Oh, yeah. Yes, obviously. Because uh, I love the idea of, like, the car being, like, just, just you know, overly bougie. Just really kind of out there, right? Mm-hmm. But I love that this one was, like, a muscle car. And yeah. I love that this... It, it's very much, like, it's, I think, reflective of him. It's still very rough. It's still very brute force that that's what it does. It's not a very smart car in the same way that it's not a very smart Batman. Yeah, he's still he's still learning the ropes, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I loved it. And I anyways, should we should we talk about some comics? If we must. <laughs> we we've blown our uh, segue. Uh where do we want to start tonight? I think we should start with Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Superior Spider-Man? Ooh. Uh, it's yeah. Spider-Man. <laughs> Sp- no. it's, pronounced, it's pronounced Spider-Man. John Spider-Man. John Spider-Man. CPA. Yeah. <laughs> John Spider-Man CPA. Uh, we've read Superior Spider-Man by Dan Slott and Umberto Ramos. Uh, two of my favorite creators. Also Ryan Stegman. Love his art too. 
um, uh, our, our, our the creative team. Um, Chris Eliopis, Chris Eliopoulos is credited as the running joke. I didn't notice that until just now. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we this is um, issues six through ten of the Superior Spider-Man run, um, and we it, that we're. Yeah. It's tricky because we're eventually going to like rate it all as one big story, and this is kind of you know a bit of a turning point in the story. Um, Doc Ock, Superior Spider-Man, um, is has just taken out um, a, a villain. He's just you know killed. Um, I just forgot the the bad guy's name. <laughs> The yeah. massacre, massacre, massacre. I was like, did he do a massacre or is his name massacre? Yeah, uh, apparently, oh. you know, a big name hero or a big name villain. Um, in, in this first issue, we see a lot of his nerd rage come through. There are some low level bad guys named Jester and Screwball, and they are um, using social media to like um, prank people, get lots of ratings, and then people who sign up for their website, they're going to, you know, uh, fish, they're going to, like, do some fishing, get all their their details and stuff like that. So um, we, we see Spider-Man is uh, in favor with J. Jonah Jameson because he's, you know, become brutal and not his usual self. The Avengers, uh, specifically Spider-Woman, Captain America, Thor, Black Widow, and... Uh, Wolverine, all think mm, something's up with Spidey. He's a little different. Like he killed a dude. What's up with that? You know, they're like, well, we, you know, people here, we've we've killed people. You know, so they're they're like, yeah, I don't know. Let's just see what he does and let's see what's going on with him. Um, Spider Man, um, you know, sees and uh, is it Anna Maria Marconi. He always calls her Ms. Marconi. He sees her getting picked on as she uh, gets to school. You know, they're students together. He's working on his doctorate. She's helping him smooth things over with uh, Dr. Don uh, the Schnoz Lamaz, who Octo- uh, Octavius has kind of a grudge with. And uh, he's working to get his doctorate because he realizes he, Otto Octavius, had a doctorate. Peter Parker does not. So he... Um, I believe towards the end he's had little spiders all over the city kind of doing surveillance on the down low. Um, he catches wind of Jester and Screwball trying to do another prank, and so he confronts them. Um, is a much, you know, stronger hero, hero and uh, still gets hit in the gonads, but uh, brutally beats them up, uh, live streams to everybody. He also beat up the bullies that were messing with Anna Maria Mar- Marconi and trapped them in their own trunk of their car. Um, he's just barely held back. Actually, Peter Parker doesn't hold him back. Peter Parker is just kind of there as a ghost observing at this point. But as this goes on, these issues, we get more that uh, Peter is trying to intercede. Um, in the Sorry, this is annoying to hop around these issues, especially with two issue sixes, because there was an Age of Ultron tie-in that is not part of this story. Yeah, we didn't read it. Issue seven, we see Cardiac, who is a doctor who's um, a vigilante who is trying to um, steal tech to keep an underground hospital going for people with um, rare cases, impossible cases. You know, he's kind of their last hope, and he is a master vigilante to, you know, get the tech that's needed to save lives. Superior Spider-Man is drawn a line in the sand, and he's like, nope, that's bad. And then um, he's fighting him, and he's taking him out, but then uh, Peter Parker is able to intercede and gain some control. 
He's uh, not able to get into the language center, as we find out, but he can con- kind of control one hand when Doc Ock isn't looking and finds out that he can kind of scribble. Um, the Avengers see that uh, he's um, Spider-Man's been fighting Cardiac, so they confront him, and he's about to take all of them on, and then they... Um, you know, say that we're gonna we're bringing you in. We gotta test you. We gotta make sure that you're all right. You know, um, the uh, next issue we see them going through, and you realize as you're sitting there, like, oh, these aren't like the scientists. These aren't the big brains. These are the fighters. These are you know heroes. These Avengers, but they're not the ones who are gonna you know see any traps. And they go through their normal tests. They have all their equipment. They realize, okay, he's not a scroll. He's not being controlled by the Purple Man. He's not um, under any other control or anything. Spider-Man tries to make a note. Uh, Spider-Man, sorry. Peter Parker tries to signal Black Widow. You know, as she's having a little heartfelt talk with him and draws a spider symbol inside, like pointing with an arrow to the Spider-Man mask. And for someone called Spider-Man, he sure draws a lousy spider. So she doesn't get it, but he's making an attempt. Um, Doc Ock takes the brain scan that the Avengers have made and wants to examine it. He has another confrontation with Cardiac. And then through uh, intercessions with, uh, uh, by, you know, Peter and, you know, confront being confronted by, Oh wait, there's a child here. Um, he kind of snaps into it, and uh, Doc Ock realizes, like, okay, I'm still kind of being a hero, okay, and this is Doc Ock's tool. I see what we're using it for, and so he helps out in order to um, borrow it, to scan his own mind, and examine where Peter Parker is still in there, because he feels that Peter is trying to gain control. And then the uh, last uh, ninth issue we read, they have a confrontation in kind of the mindscape, and so Peter and all of his the people that he's hung on to, the people that he just can't let go, the people he's let down, the people that support him, um, they fight against Doc Ock. You know, Doc Ock says, well, I'm Spider-Man too, and they have a Spidey versus Spider fight. He's able to, um, through his uh, scanner, erase uh, Peter Parker. He's able to um, take him out of his psyche. And then we get an issue of him being free, and people are starting to notice. You get, you know, cops saying, you know, he's not as funny as he used to be. He's not leaving little notes around. Um, He moves things, Doc Ock, as Spidey, moves things forward with uh, Anna Maria. They have a little date. They have a little kiss. Maybe, maybe something more will come of it. He's able to keep dinner appointments with Aunt May, who I still can't get over the fact that she's dating J. Jonah Jameson's dad, which is weird to me. It's always going to be weird. Um, in the background, Carly Cooper, who is his ex girl, his uh, ex girlfriend. She's a police detective. She sees something's up. She's trying to make you know prove it. She you know she's a cop. She knows there has to be evidence. MJ realizes something is up. Um, MJ's club is attacked. Um, Doc Ock, his superior Spider Man, is taking out other um, crime lords and everything, and really like doing a good job crime fighting, but is not acting like Spidey. And people are starting to see that. Um, it ends with the uh, Green Goblin, who has exploited some uh, uh, loophole, some kind of issue in the tech that it's, um, he's using uh, to spy on people. Um, Goblin has assembled a bigger group, and kind of all of the you know different groups of villains of all kind of the gangs have teamed up um, to fight against Spidey, and that's where we leave things off. Um, I'm going to take a drink because I've been talk, 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 talking. <laughs> 
as per usual. I thought this was great. These are some of my favorite people writing and drawing comics all involved. Um, I understand this is, you know, part two of four or part two of six. I forget how many trades there are. Um, but there are little things dropped throughout that hinted a bigger story, a well-rounded story that touches all parts of, you know, Peter Parker's life as Spider-Man. We see part of um, Otto Octavius's backstory. We see, you know, he, he's a villain, but he's also got these this little, just enough good, just enough empathy where he can, you know, make it work as Peter Parker. His arrogance shines through it. Like, he, he, you know, calls people dolts and buffoons and all this, like, you know, really cheesy, like, old man villain talk, you know. Um, there's a lot in here. I loved it. I love all of Superior Spider-Man. Uh, what did you guys think? I mean, it's good. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Like, yeah, still, reading, <laughs> still reading this for the first time. Um, it the, the stuff, we don't get a whole lot of the Carly Cooper stuff here, but... It occurs to me that a genre that I really quite enjoy is sort of the supernatural police procedural, where something really weird is going on, and the police have to prove it, and they need evidence for it, but you don't have your typical trail of evidence because the cause is supernatural. The, like, <laughs> just in this weird moment, it reminded me of the anime Death Note, which, like, is the show that got me into anime, and has a lot of that sort of thing going on. Kind of craps the bed a little bit towards the end, but um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see how that particular subplot plays out. Again, even though we don't get much of it in, in what we read today. What we did get today, um, I thought was really good. Uh, like John, I really, really enjoy this art. Humberto Ramos does a just stellar job. And uh, Slot's writing is doing a really good job of kind of upping the stakes. Right, because we've got the the first incident that we read today, the the Jester and Screwball confrontation, which you like, I you're weirdly kind of on their side. Not that you want them to like get away with all of their nefarious crimes or whatever, but it's like their crimes are just goofy and silly, and I wouldn't say harmless, but they are genuinely funny. And then for them to face the the violence that they do is genuinely shocking and it, it, it somehow like that being the thing that pushes the avengers to be like okay we got to go bring this guy in and not the fact that he actually murdered one of his villains is weird but you also kind of get it right yeah it's like well if it had to be somebody <laughs> you know it's like i think if it was somebody else that was murdered they would have come a lot sooner but they were like well he killed a mass murderer what do we do about that mm, we've all kind of killed mass murderers okay let's just think about this a bit you know but it's so out of character for him it should have been a bigger red flag um i love that it it uh you know even if you haven't read every single issue of spider-man and i don't know who has but it it touches so many parts of his life and you know the the weight of you know that character or whatever um i think you know we don't get a lot of carly cooper here because she was a bigger part of earlier issues and naturally, in Peter Parker's life, has kind of been in the background, but she still cares about him, has feelings for him, and knows that something is up. So we will see more of her later. She's important later on. Um, I like uh, Anna Maria Marconi, and I'm really sad that like she's you know falling in love with the supervillain because it's like this is a nice person and could be a good influence, but you know Octavius is gonna Octaviate. Ugh, don't like that. I don't know what that is. Uh, what did you think, Aldo? <laughs> I I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I think this is, you know, just excellent. 
this, this is one of, I don't know that it's one of my favorite runs, but it is definitely, like, it's not what I would never say not to read. Like, this is, it's good, it's great. Uh, I think some of the better stuff really comes in a little bit later. And I really like how it kind of, oh, I broke my glasses again. And <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find my spare, so, like, I just kind of retaped my other ones, and now they're they're dead again. <laughs> Where's the break? Right in the bridge, or where? No, 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 it's, it's at the little joint towards the front. Oh, yeah. Like where it swivels. <laughs> so, anyways, that's... <laughs> It's fine. I don't need them. I already read. You can hold them up like <laughs> opera glasses. Yeah. Hold up the arm that works still. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what was I saying? Yeah. So this is, you know, really good stuff. I th- We're still kind of in the early stages where a lot of stuff is kind of getting wrapped up in the sense that it is kind of done being set up. At this point, like a lot of the setup is kind of wrapped up and we're just kind of moving into like the kind of the majority of the book. If I remember you know, kind of the flow and, and following events after this. So I think we're kind of past... I think I, I think we're essentially done with, like, the first act, which is kind of a short... Like, a little shorter than you'd expect, but uh-huh. the bulk of what happens next is, you know, I think interesting. But we're not talking about what comes after. We're talking about this. And, I, and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how much there is to say other than... I did think it was a little funny that like yeah like I I hadn't noticed that it was it wasn't any of the smart Avengers that were there yeah like you wouldn't call Black Widow dumb but you also like wouldn't She's not be a like scientist. hey yeah like you know check this uh, did you notice these brainwave patterns ooh you know it's like none of them are gonna Thor has a hammer you know <laughs> Thor, <laughs> Thor's yeah. not gonna go over like data <laughs> he's gonna smash it um, you know. Like maybe Donald Blake, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, and like Wolverine, like they use him in Spider Island to sniff out, literally sniff out who the real Spidey is, because there's a lot of people running around with Spider Man powers, you know, or wearing you know Spider Man outfits or whatever. But they like he knows who the real Peter Parker is, and so, you know, if if he says it, and if Cap gives you know a nod, then it's like okay, well you're okay, you're kind of a jerk right now, Peter Parker, but we're gonna let this slide. <sighs> Jeez, I actually feel like I have a lot to say about this. Uh, you should. Like a lot of what I have to say is probably prompted by uh, the fact that I haven't read this before, right? But like my big concern right now is that this is going the way that a lot of superhero stories kind of tend to go when they have these big dramatic shakeups to the status quo and they start asking these questions like, oh, what if this other way of doing things is better? And it's like, okay, what we've got here is crime is down. Violent crime is down. Um, people are generally safer. And the, the you know, the supervillain in the hero's body, even though he's using, like, really uh, questionable slash reprehensible means of accomplishing all of these goals, you know, it, it's hard to argue with results. And so my, kind of what I wonder is, when you have sort these sorts of stories in superhero comics, there tends to be this neglect to answering the question like who really has the best way of handling things we like peter parker we like spider-man as we've known him because he's funny and he is cheerful and he's affable and he always tries to do the right thing and it sometimes blows up in his face but he still tries to do the right thing anyway but here we've got the supervillain stepping into the role and is far more effective. Eventually we know Spider-Man is going to be, you know, you're going to go back to Peter Parker. But what is going to be done if anything to show that Doc Ock's way is not necessarily the right way? I I don't know. Um 
my like I kind of know how the story arc ends, but I don't know thematically how everything works out. Like I know that the Green Goblin comes in and Otto can't take care of the Goblin, and Peter Parker comes back and take like I, I know that all of that kind of happens. Is it because you've seen that really great panel? Yes, where, he, <laughs> where the Goblin is taunting him, and like Peter Parker says something snappy, and he's like. You're back. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's a, yep. that is a fantastic. Panel. However, that goes. That that that's I have seen that, but um, yeah, yeah, and so it's like that is fun and it's interesting and it's like cool. That's we want the hero to come back. We want him to have like the the sort of dramatic reversal of fortunes and the uh, overcoming of great odds, and I'm okay with all of that. But the stuff that goes like at the top of the list, the stuff that's the best comics. Like, those are things where you've got all of that, you know, fun, dramatic action, and you also have all of this great thematic content and this real tightness to the story and the themes and everything coming together. And, like, I feel like this holds back a lot of superhero stories. It's one of the reasons that, as much as I like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I have a hard time saying that those are, like, my favorite movies, because frequently, the good guys just win because they have more firepower. And mm-hmm. that's not strong enough for me to to really sell the the morals and the motifs and the messages that are like given lip service in these movies and so that's kind of my worry right now at the i guess third way mark or whatever with uh, superior spider-man it's like i'm enjoying it i'm having a really good time i've got a lot of actually really positive stuff to say about this section but i find myself being a little concerned about how they're going to pay off this sort of thematic through line it's not just through this but it's through a lot of slots other spider-man writing where spider-man one of the things that makes spider-man such a great hero is that he's willing to try to fight to preserve all life so i don't know i, I just don't know it leaves me with a really big question but i am enjoying the ride immensely along the way yeah and to be fair i think now that i'm trying to remember kind of the follow-up to this whole arc i don't remember how much of like the morality or I guess the, philo- the the philosophy between like how he Doc Ock operates actually plays into, into, I think it kind of, I think there is some sort of like acceptance of it. And because after this, after it's kind of like a soft reboot, right? Like it's another amazing Spider-Man volume that happens out of this. Peter changes, like there's substantial changes to the way he lives and operates kind of as Spider-Man. Like, I think it's after this that a lot of the Parker industry stuff, um, Occurs, and I think it might be a, a, a direct result from this as well. Uh, and and there's also some consequences to some of the stuff that Octavius does that kind of ripple over there through that. But I don't know as far as far as kind of like the philosophy of how they operate. Right, I'm not 100 percent sure of how much of that ends up going through it in the long run. And that's not going to like make it a bad story if it doesn't actually pay off. No, 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 no. Right. Too. It's just that might it might hold it back from at least in my estimation, the the highest heights of the list. Yeah, it's kind of like how, you know, A New Hope isn't entirely tarnished because, you know, Luke Luke turns into a hermit in the best Star Wars movie. You mean... I was waiting for someone to object. Yeah, The Last Jedi. Yeah, yeah, the best Star Wars movie. I mean, I'm not going to argue. It's my favorite. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's a legacy argument for Empire, but I, yeah, can't argue with that. Yeah. I don't like the Canto bike nonsense with the, on the um, casinos, but like that's a that's a little a little nitpick. So because <laughs> I, yeah, like, so like, so I like I like Rose and Finn, but yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying. I I don't know how much of that carries over 
But I do think it's interesting how much this book is willing to kind of kind of face that, right? And I think what I like about the book too, especially here at this early stage, is how much it doesn't like it doesn't spell it out entirely for you. Like obviously it's a comic book, it's Spider-Man, it's not very subtle, so like obviously crime is down. Like we we're getting all these things, right? But it's kind of in the back of the head where you're it's kind of really weighing in like, hey, how effective is this or isn't this? Up until we get again, Spider-Man, not very subtle. Up until we get into the mind fight where he where Octavius is telling him, like, you know, how many people have I saved because I killed him and did this and did this and did this and did this and how many people have died because you couldn't or you wouldn't. Which is eventually like how, you know, kinda leads to the end as we know at this point, of Peter Parker in in the mind land, or whatever we want to call that. <laughs> it, Peter Parker in mind land. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's actually a mind county. It's just a part of the township. It's not a, it's an unincorporated. <laughs> I think, I think in the next trade, we see where uh, Doc Ock's methods get him and why it, it's not something that, is true to Spider-Man and, and, and not a good thing. But we also, you know, Doc Ock is older than Spider-Man, and so he's more mature, and so he, he doesn't see, you know, he sees, okay, I have all this power and this responsibility. Um, I'm much more organized. I'm, you know, a, a more of a scientist. Uh, let's do it this way. Let's be organized about it. And he can, you know, manage the things that Spider-Man, who got his powers before he, you know, was a responsible grown-up, is just reactionary. Like that's Otto Octavius is just scoffing at him. Like, oh, he's just, you know, waiting and waiting for things to happen. Where Doc Ock is like spying on everybody and you know trying to get ahead of villains by kind of striking as soon as there's even a hint of anything wrong going on. Which, you know, right and wrong of that is you know another another question, and I think might come up as well. I I can't remember if like Spider Man learns from this because he, he comments early on like, oh, why didn't I? Think of that, because there's a day, you know, in the first trade where Doc Ock, like, manages to fight crime as well as, you know, not let anybody down or be late for anything. And, you know, it's, it's like he just he is blown away. And I'm glad that we get, you know, a different viewpoint of, like, how someone else would handle great power and great responsibility. It's like there's, you know, you don't have to be a screw up. You don't have to always be late. You don't have to always be behind in your bills, you know, and if you, if you keep your head, you'll get your doctorate a lot faster, but you know, Otto Octavius is very arrogant and, you know, so I don't know. I really like it. I can't wait to see how it shakes out in our list. Um, when we get all of it read, I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for top 20, but you know, there's going to be some pushback against that by people who are wrong. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't think this. I mean, uh, maybe it's a little preemptive, but I don't think these six issues are necessarily top twenty material on their own. No. Well, is that the fault of the issues, or that they are six issues of a much larger story? I think it's twenty four yes. total. It is a. It is superior in in name and in uh, work. I really. No, it like, is. It is thirty three issues. Thirty three issues. Or are those 31, including thirty one issues? Okay. Okay. 31, 32 if you include the Spider-Verse uh, tie-ins afterwards, which are 32 and 33, but 31 is the finale. Um, love the art. Um, I was just looking at the issue where they have kind of a 
mindscape battle, you know, and the uh, the sky being on Octavius's face was a really cool thing I noticed, and, and you know, I like seeing classic. Like we know what the you know Doc Ock outfit looks like. We know what Spider Man's outfit looks like, without having to like see it or think about it. You know, I like getting different artists' takes on familiar outfits. I like seeing two Spider-Man, Spider-Man, two Spider-Mans, two Spider-Man fighting, and how you can tell the difference between them, you know, I think that's just really great art. It's not just like, ah, I'm going to cheat and just, you know, it's a mirror image of it. You know, we can see the spirit of Spider-Man. We can see classic Peter Parker Spider-Man. There's some really great art in here. I'm just uh, in that issue right now um, because I think I've, you know, talked about Umberto Ramos a lot, Um, and I think we did a whole fill-in issue on him as well. Didn't we? Aldo did that. I yeah. did. Yeah, I really. I mean, probably my favorite, um, if not like one of my favorite uh, Marvel artists, or, or I guess comic book artists. Period. So. Yeah, I really, I really like his work. Excellent, excellent art. Also, I, I know he works a lot with. Uh, I forgot his first name, but it's Delgado is his last name. I should, I should do that thing I hate with that people do. Uh, instead of saying Delgado, I should say Delgado. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I know I know Ramos and uh, Delgado work together a lot. I think he's kind of his de facto colorist, and I really like that team. I really like that team up. I, did we go over the who was doing the colors on this one? No, I don't think I mentioned that. Um, because that's consistently great as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's some really good. Up. Yeah, and I think you know, I think the I think the magic of like American comics. Edgar Delgado. Is, yeah, Edgar Delgado. Delgado. Edgar. Del- Edgar Delgado. I know what that means. That means Edgar of Galdo. <laughs> I thought you were going to say of the cat, and I was going to be like, ha ha, got you, that's gato. Not gato. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry. That's part of the magic of, like, American comics, I think, is because it's such a collaborative process, right? You have the, the, you have the penciler, you have the ink in uh, colors and stuff like that. And I think... We like to credit, I like to credit Ramos a lot. He's, you know, one of my favorite artists, but I think the team that works with him really helps to, like, enhance, like, everything Uh about kind of his art. And I think that's part of, like, why it looks so great. Because, like, it's not just that Spider-Man looks good, especially, you know, in, like, that fight sequence with the Avengers where we get, like, a lot of kind of dynamic poses. and yeah. Interesting kind of group shots of everybody trying to fight at once, trying to catch uh, Spider-Man. But also, like, a lot of the facial... Um, I was going to say interactions, but that's... So, <laughs> but a lot of the... A lot of the facial work, expressions, yeah. Like, that stuff looks really good. Especially, like, when we're talking in that issue with Screwball and Jester. And just, like, some of those laughs. The smiles that they're having. Just how angry Jonah gets. And then even Jester's just completely tore up face. Like, a lot of that stuff just works really well. To the point where, like, even though his style is a little bit more, like, anime-inspired, it's a little bit more cartoony to, you know, to a certain extent, when those moments of gravita hit, like, they still are able to be taken seriously. He knows, I think he knows the rules of um, anatomy and design and knows how to tweak them to make a unique, you know, image for us, you know, you you can you know, try to draw in a looser style and in a, you know, less realistic way, and it probably won't come off as good if you don't have 
really good basics in there where, you know, you, you understand what it's supposed to look like. Cause there are some great poses, you know, as Jester and Screwball are like roller bla- or roller skating through, like you get some really cool action poses. You can feel their, uh, their movement and everything. Um, I, I love how he draws the heroes, you know, cause it's that same thing where, you know, we know, we know what their costumes are going to be like, but seeing them, you know, in his way with, you know, his, his team, like you said, you know, the inks and colors, so like really pop. Um, and I, I'm always like, I'd love to see the script and see, okay, how many of these, you know, panels were suggested, like, okay, let's have a panel where these lines are said, you know, how much of that is Dan Slott? How much of that is all the art? You know, it's, you know, I don't know. Part of what I really like as well, kind of talking about the other heroes, right? Is I love the shapes he gives them because mm-hmm. there's certain artists I like, and I'm not going to say love. I like, uh, like Jim Lee. Jim Lee's a very talented artist. I'm never, I don't ever want to give the impression that he's not. But a lot of his characters and bodies kind of look the same, right? Like when they did that new 52 lineup shot where it had all the heroes, uh-huh. they all pretty much had like the same body type. Uh-huh. With the exception of like the capes and cowls and stuff like that, there's really no differentiation factor between body types of like, you know, Superman and Batman and stuff like that. And I love that in that group shot, like just between the three like burly, muscular men, Wolverine, Captain America, and Thor, how different their physiques are. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's it's obviously exaggerated. It's his art style, but like it, it really works because you could turn those into silhouettes and still have a good idea of who is who, especially Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like Wolverine short. I like seeing short Wolverine. Short, ugly, scrappy. We like a short yep. king here. <laughs> um, okay, I want to talk about that mind fight. Just real quick. In my in Minnesota, USA? Yes, in, in Minnesota. Jeez, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling. I'm sorry. I'm struggling. Because <laughs> um, I, I talked about how this, this story kind of like knows how to raise the stakes. And I think part of how it manages to do that... And I think this is one of the disadvantages of this sort of format of podcast where it's like we're kind of ranking things and talking about things. But some things are better when you consider the broader context. Slot's been writing Spider-Man at this point for quite some time. And he had a really moving issue where Spider-Man was kind of like trapped in his own psyche and, and encountering all of these people from his past. Uh, and it's shortly after uh, Jameson's wife gets killed and and spider-man's dealing with the guilt of kind of letting her die and it ends it's a very like technically very well done issue and it's very very creative and it's very moving and it ends with spider-man like getting up on the roof and you think he's gonna go into a a spiel about how he's tired of being spider-man he doesn't want to do this anymore he's gonna quit but instead he doubles down and says oh i'm gonna be even more spider-man that's where no one dies comes from and you kind of go into this issue having if you've been, you know, reading Slot for a while, if you remember that other issue, you go into this one and you're like, oh, this is going to happen. This is the moment where Spider-Man's, like, friends and family are going to show up for him in his mind and they're going to beat back the bad guys and he's going to reemerge. And he doesn't. He gets obliterated by, like, Dr. Octopus has the stronger psyche, I guess, at this moment. And that's a real shock. Um, I actually remember, because I was reading a lot of comics press when this series was coming out, I remember the the, the articles about this story, like, commenting on kind of the angry response, because a lot of people thought that this was going to be the moment when Peter Parker comes back, and it wasn't. And I think people were still kind of convinced that maybe Dr. Octopus was going to be Spider-Man forever, and they didn't like it. But, like, that sort of emotional response, that anger, that surprise, that genuine 
upset is pretty difficult, I think, to pull off and slot. And, like, the whole creative team, they did a really good job with it. Yeah. Especially, you also have to consider the timing of that issue as well, right? If you're not keeping up... So, so I don't know how many people here, like, actively read comics from the comic book store and, like, have a hold. And by I mean people here, I mean people listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> at, at least for me, my experience, so kind of behind the counter and even in front of the counter is... Uh, there's the previews stuff that comes out a catalog that comes out every month right that tells you what's going to be coming out three months from now uh so on and so forth i think the average comic book reader or at least nowadays the average comic book reader probably isn't that involved in it and probably get most of their upcoming news from other websites and, and things like that and i have never really been into that but i still like try to keep up on it just so that i know you know you know what to pick up what's kind of come out that's interesting that type of thing but I think if you if you weren't keeping up with that, if you weren't keeping up with the news, and like you were reading this book, this trade, even if you were picking up the trade, this comes at the tail end of like the second book. This comes like super close to that, and and it feels there's like this certain uncertainty where if you're reading those trades, or even if you're reading this the single issues, you really genuinely don't know. You're like, is Superior Spider-Man going to be a twelve issue series? Is it going to be thirty? How many years are they going to run? How how long are they planning on keeping this, you know, status quo of, of Doc Ock as, as Peter Parker? And I think thinking about that timing, whether you were reading the singles or whether you were reading the trades, it's it was, I think, pretty well done to put it, to put that specific moment, that fight, when it happens. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a new bar that I have is... You know, can I guess the ending before it happens? Is there anything that I'm watching, reading, you know, listening to that surprises me? You know, I love to be surprised. I love to be, you know, have my expectations subverted. I try. That's why I don't watch trailers. I want to, you know, enjoy the journey and not be in my head so much like, well, I know this is going to happen because I read about this. And I know that, you know, what's going to happen next. And I know that I haven't seen this part and I've heard all about this. And so until that happens, like I, I know that we're not going to, you know, this character is going to live. And I know that uh, this still has to happen. You know, you can't fully enjoy something, I think, if you're just in your head analyzing it the whole time. Because you're going to do that anyway. You're like, wow, this is good. This is good. Or, oh, I didn't like that. Anyway, from, you know, as you're reading, watching, or listening, whatever it is. So, if I, if, well, this is great. This is, you know, they're Peter Parker, a classic character. They're taking, you know, his his greatest foe and shoving it in our faces. And, like, we know what happens, what's going to happen. We don't know. We don't know. Is it, are we going to get Peter Parker back? Doesn't look like it. There's no clear path. There's no little like breadcrumb left for them to, you know, hold up and be like, oh yeah, well there's, you know, they mentioned this one little thing that we can hold on to um, for, you know, that's definitely what's going to bring Peter Parker back. He's gone at the end of issue nine. He's gone. And I, in this moment, forget how he comes back, (laughs) you know, spoiler alert, but you know, he's coming back. If you, you know, thought about it for more than a second, of course he's coming back. Um, but right now, I, I forget how it happens. So, Looking forward to finding that out myself. Gonna re-enjoy the whole, yeah, re-enjoy the ride all over again, so. I, I feel like we need to move on. We've been talking about this one story for quite some time. Well, I forgot that, like, you hadn't read it, Stephen, so I, I didn't mean to, like, jump over anything, and I hope I haven't ruined anything. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, like I said, I was reading Comics Press when the story came out, so I know the broad strokes of how it all wraps up. I don't remember, I don't know any of the specifics, though, especially from this point on. So it's going to mm. be a really interesting ride from here. Cool, cool. Anyway, should we move on to Thor? Thor. 
Um, yeah, sure. Thor, what was that? So, <laughs> I, have I ever explained why I say that? No. Thor. I so, like, forget. I want to hear it, though. So, <laughs> so when I worked at, at Disney, uh, working on, on Disney Infinity 2.0 and 3.0, they had introduced... Marvel heroes for the second Infinity game. And the way they portrayed Thor was like this big hulking kind of dumb character. Like very like, very kind of like almost surfer-ish. And it surprised my co-worker like how dumb he was. And so like every time they talked about Thor, we talked about Thor. He would always be like, Thor. Just kind of, you know, he's a very dumb character. He's <laughs> Thor. And that just stuck. And so like every time... <laughs> Every time Thor comes up in my head or like just softly to myself, I'm always just like, Thor. That's <laughs> so funny. That's, that's, that's funny. Funny. I think, yeah, dumb Thor is fun, Thor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it can be. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is me. So so we read Mighty Thor Volume 3 issues, was it 6 through 12? It was like a full trade this time, like a... Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, written by Jason Aarons. Or Jason Aaron, there's no extra S. And I believe the main artist is like Russell Dodderman, but there are other artists at the beginning of this section, which is like Rafa Garris and Fraser Irving. Yeah. Oh, that was a Fraser Irving. I just realized that that makes a lot of sense now. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, taste? yeah, it does. It really does. Okay. So, this, so what we read this section of uh, the Mighty Thor volume that we read i'm gonna divide it up into four parts keep it like pretty quickly there are four things that happen carrying in from the previous arc where we were introduced to loki kind of appearing at the end kind of as a as a cliffhanger he is setting up a deal with roxon and he's going to help them create like these kind of hulks right and this is kind of told through the point of view of this different story in which he talks about this old viking who used to pray to thor and then everybody started creating Thor for the victories because, of course, Thor was the one winning all these. And he, like, rebelled. And eventually the other army also prayed for Thor and he fought against them. He made a deal with Loki and eventually turned him into an old dragon blood fueled Hulk Viking. And the whole point of that being that that's eventually what uh, what he offers to Agar. Uh, I forgot his first name, but we mentioned his last Dario? name a lot. Dario. Dario, yeah, Dario Auger. So he offers to help him be able to create like this kind of dragon blood fueled army. And the next part of that is we're also kind of introduced to this whole kind of Illuminati of like rich villains of the Marvel world, which includes like a lot of people, kind of like the Kingpin, Mida. <laughs> there are a lot of people. Uh, there's like uh, Tiberius Stain or Stone, Sebastian Shaw. Darren Cross, Silver Samurai, or like, well, the new Silver Samurai. Uh, there's just a like a, just a bunch of like who's who's. There's a tiny man who sits on a chair on the table. That was adorable and hard to take him seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Do not ask me who that is, but uh, they they stuck out. <laughs> so they this kind of council confronts Agar about the about his deal with with Malekith and Loki and all this stuff and how he's now pumping oil from a different realm and he tells them that he's not going to share it. it's going to be his so they kind of take that as as insult or even as a threat silver samurai attacks and that's when silver samurai and Mida decide that they're going to kind of take him out right not necessarily kill him yet but they're going to kind of take him out of this whole equation and so that kind of sets up that struggle within the villains and specifically against augur and augur is kind of the main <laughs> 
antagonist of this whole thing, as we're going to find out. The next part, or like part three of how I have divided up these stories, is we follow up again on Jane Foster, who is a cancer patient and has been being Thor, has been going out on adventures, doing all these things, and trying to like continue with her chemo, even though every time she turns back into Thor, it erases that, right? But she's still trying to like do the thing. She's being investigated by S.H.I.E.L.D. by two agents whose whole job is to figure out who has a secret identity and what that secret identity is. And so they believe that Jane Foster is connected to Thor, to the new Thor. They don't know that it's her, but they think she knows because of her past relationships. We eventually find out that like, or not even find out, we eventually see them go to Asgard and go to her private residence up there and they steal her phone and they find out that she has some very salacious text messages with sam wilson (laughs) but you know a little invasion of privacy never stopped the u.s government so what's this (laughs) (laughs) so so they they eventually kind of piece together that it's actually her or they think that's kind of their theory is like they're theorizing that she is the same person and they they believe it so much to the point that they actually believe that the whole cancer thing is a front, that she's not actually sick, that she's just pretending to be sick to throw people off that kind of trail. She befriends a, a different S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. I know they call her Roz. I don't know what her full name is, or uh, unless that just is her full name. But Roz also used to have a thing with Thor, it seems like, previously. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. So they become friends, and they kind of work together as they figure out that Augur is kind of missing, and they've tracked him down in the in the Arctic. Or they don't know that he's missing just yet, but the, he's in the Arctic. They think that's where he's at. When they go in there, they find out that he has been kidnapped. Uh, Silver Samurai kind of does some stuff. is a very annoying interpretation of a Gen Zer or millennial, and I hated everything he said. <laughs> and he talks about how he's like Iron Man. If Iron Man like new martial arts, it was cool. And it's like, ugh, can you shut up? Can you not? <laughs> You're not, neither of you are cool. Like, <laughs> anyways, so they find out that he's missing. There's this thing called like the Augur Protocol, I believe that's what it was, or the directive. And it's just a thing where like if he was to die or go missing or anything like that, everything that is rocks on would just going to explode. There's a giant island that is hovering over Manhattan and it will just, you know, fall down and kill everybody. So they have to go... Uh, find him, save him, essentially, so that they can arrest him, but also so that he can stop the Agri Protocol. The S.H.I.E.L.D. agents confront Jane. They're telling her, or Thor, they confront Thor, telling her that, no, we know who you are, we know your identity, blah, blah, blah. And the hammer, we don't know that it's the hammer, but the hammer creates a projection or, like, a duplicate self of Jane Foster, not in her non-Thor state, and she appears and she looks like or she, she gives herself surgery as Jane to Thor, which the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents are like, oh, no, I guess we were wrong. Sorry, we went through your very salacious text messages. <laughs> also, we might not be very good at our jobs. Yeah, in the middle of, like, the whole world ending, you know, the Roxxon floating island is about to crash into Manhattan and kill everything on the planet. They're like, no, 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 no. We gotta arrest Thor. <laughs> it's like, yeah. can, can it wait? Like, it's so, it's, yeah, it's, it's so obnoxious. bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, it, that's not even mentioning, I, I didn't mention it, I skimmed over some of the details. I was gonna say minor, I don't know how minor it is, that the whole island turned into gold. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that Thor and her hammer. <laughs> it's hilarious. Thor and her hammer both helped uh, stop it and lift it up. And I thought that was kind of funny. At least that's what it looked like to me. Maybe maybe I was maybe I, I saw that wrong. But it looked like the hammer was helping. <laughs> so that's kind of the end of that uh, of that kind of major arc. We get a little bit into the next bit. And we have the hammer. We have we get an origin story on the hammer. The hammer takes Jane or, or Thor on, on like a like a mission. Like just takes them. They grab the hammer and they just go. They go to this old like cosmic library of the gods. Well, cause, because the hammer wants Jane to know about its past, as we can presume, because it doesn't talk. It's a hammer. So we find we get an origin story on the hammer that there was this big storm when the universe was created, and when the dwarves found the Uru metal, Odin took that storm and captured it in the Uru metal, and then they forged that into to Mjolnir, which took you know twenty days and hundreds and thousands of of dwarves to be able to forge it into the hammer that it became and like it's just kind of this big epic thing we get fraser irving doing the art for that section which now totally makes sense because it it's very like dark it's very it's very well done i think because it did kind of blow me away a little bit again a little disappointed in myself that i didn't pick up who it was but (laughs) it's okay we're also disappointed in you all though tisk (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we get that origin story uh you know it has the hammer kind of has like a mind of its own when it was initially forged even odin couldn't handle it wouldn't listen to him it would just he would grab it and it would just zip 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 him around asgard and he eventually put a bunch of seals on it just like magic seals on it and put it away and said it was dumb and stupid and nobody should ever touch it and thor couldn't play with it and he should have he should wait for a more suitable weapon oh the irony right <laughs> so so that's kind of where it ends. We kind of get that origin story on on the hammer, and and that's where we wrap up this trade of Mighty Thor, Paul, uh, Jane Foster. Thoughts? I really liked it. I really liked it. Rafa is Rafa Garris. I think so. Who, am I saying that right? I don't know. I loved I, so. I loved the flashback art because it was it was different. It was it was it like there was just dynamic and like. You know, it just, it just, it felt fun to be, you know, in a, in a different place. And, you know, it's just, it just looks so cool. I don't know. I wish I had more words to like describe why I like it and why it looks good. Um, you know, we get this like old version of Loki with this like creepy horned, horned helmet. You know, we get. Oh, and the, and the worm goatee. Oh. Or like technical goatee. I don't know what it was. It was gross though. Yeah. We get um you know this this Viking that turns he looks like Chewbacca in a couple of these. Like before he even becomes a bad guy, he's just cause he's just like, you know, been in the dirt and his beard's all gross and everything. But um I you know, I like seeing that. I like that we get this, we get, you know, the origin story of Mjolnir or whatever. Um I like when there are little little bits fit in, you know, slipped in where um, uh, it doesn't change anything negatively to know that like there's a storm inside of this you know unworkable metal that the the dwarves finally were able to work into something after you know burning down you know mountains and and having to lasso a planet and, or a, a star rather you know all of this stuff you know like it's just like that's a nice little a little like you know fleshing out of the story you know previously on you know there's Oh, this it was forged from a dying star. It was you know the, this kind of metal, whatever, whatever, whatever. And like we get 
more of that without hurting the Thor mythos. We get this, you know, a, a guy prayed to Thor, so Thor fought for him. He stopped praying to Thor, and Thor, you know, is vain and stopped fighting for him and, and fought against him. Like, that all fits with, you know, the established Thor story that we've heard so far and it, it doesn't like it's not like they're rewriting anything you know it's just I like that there is space to you know flesh things out without you know sacrificing the overall it's not like well and uh, Bruce and Mar- uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne were secretly alive the whole time you know it's not like anything crazy I, I roll my eyes every time we get another reveal that Thomas and Martha were involved with you know, the Marconi family, or, like, they were secretly Arabian drug dealers, or they were aliens from Mars with, you know, I I don't know what crap we get nowadays, but... (laughs) That's one thing I didn't like about the um, Andrew Garfield uh, Spider-Man movies was, uh, we don't need his parent parents to be, like, you know, ooh, they were secret agents. Nah, just, just shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I also never need to see pearls dropping in the street ever again. Thank you. Yeah. But uh, speaking about the Thor comic, it's not just the the Thor mythos that he's playing around with, right? Because there's that sequence where Thor's fighting the, the ancient Viking Hulk. And oh, the Vikings right, right, right. all around the world. And there's a ghost rider who hangs out with a bear. And that was and, rad. Uh, <laughs> there's like an Atlantean. Atlantis and... Yeah, there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And then they're they're pictured in they're pictured in uh, some like ancient art, like some hieroglyphic style, like you know, all of them together. So I I need to keep reading this. This is a run that like has been on my to do list for mm-hmm. forever, and reading this tonight like really crammed that home. That like, hey, you you've got to like make this a priority because it's so good. It's very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Might be my favorite Fraser Irving art. I think this, reading this little bit, that one story that he did in the library, finally drove home why I struggle with Fraser, Ar- Fraser Irving a little bit. I know him best from his work with Grant Morrison, where he has mm, yeah, yeah. done a lot of artwork of Robin and a lot of artwork of Clary and the Witch Boy. And I don't think Fraser Irving draws children very appealingly but his adults holy crap everything else in this in this book looks fantastic i think part of what i like about the way they added or they even changed or did whatever they did with with the thor mythos is how non-marvel it felt if that makes sense i love that as they were explaining about the storm as they were explaining about the metal and just Odin being unable to control it. I love how much of that just felt like it was genuine Norse mythology. I'm not very well versed in Norse mythology, so I very highly doubt that that's like real. It's not. But oh no, all yeah. of the all of the cash in my wallet says that space sharks and it running away from a sentient storm doesn't feature in the North mythology. But I loved it. I was like, "There's yeah. space sharks. This is the but, best book ever." Yeah. So so there are those aspects that just feel so like mythic, right? Like it doesn't just feel like this is a Marvel thing. Kind uh-huh. of like like I, I don't know, like no, like the whole stuff with no very much feels Marvel. It doesn't feel like mythological. And and that's, I believe that's by design. I hope. <laughs> but like the difference between this and Noel and like their place in, you know, 
the world, the galaxy, the universe of Marvel is so different. But I just I just love how it feels, and I love that the Fraser Irving art just really kind of drives home how kind of dark and like mythological and epic this whole story that we're being told is. Yeah. I also like that in the same issue and story and adventure, uh, Thor and the Hammer just make holes in the wall instead of going in through the front door proper <laughs> of this poor library. I don't know. I feel like this this is the story that I don't have as much to say about, right? Um, not that it's bad or anything like that. I, I, I could comment on some of the character usage, uh, like Oubliette, the exterminatrix, making her second appearance on the Superhuman Registration podcast. What the heck <laughs> is up with that costume? <laughs> it doesn't... I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh-uh. I, although I kind of like it. Like, I think you're not supposed to like it. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be um, off-putting and like, yeah. like indecent. Like, oh, are we supposed to all see this? Like, what, what you've chosen <laughs> to fight in? I think, like, oh. I think my problem is it doesn't actually look very dominatrix-ish. I don't think she's supposed to be a dominatrix. Line. She's an exterminatrix. Wait, oh, wait, hold on. I just put that together. Really? <laughs> Yeah, Exterminatrix. Didn't... <laughs> I thought it was, like, named after, you know, John Matrix. Oh, Stephen, you sweet, sweet uh, summer child. Summer From child. <laughs> nope. A movie that I have definitely seen. Is that a movie thing? I oh, just yeah. thought that's what you said to people who didn't get things. John Matrix, character from Commando. Oh. Oh, okay. Is that the name <laughs> of Arnold's character? Do you know who wrote Commando? I'm pretty sure it is... is yeah but do you know who wrote the movie ah! <laughs> anyways Jeff so Loeb I... Jeff Loeb it <laughs> okay. was like one of Jeff Loeb's first movies oh and I didn't it was a realize that yeah yeah okay. speaking of yeah. Grant Morrison did you know that Grant Morrison created Exterminatrix oh yeah. that makes sense she that makes a lot of in, sense in Marvel Boy which was a Grant Morrison comic oh, oh that did... name also just kind of makes sense did <laughs> not actually know that yeah I so I actually talked about <laughs> talking about so there's a lot of villains here, right? We get a lot of villains from kind of different edges of this kind of grounded... Oh, okay, sorry. I'm talking about, like, the evil money Illuminati group. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I I think one of the things I found hilarious in this is a little bit of the conversations that we get with Silver Samurai and whoever the Maida girl was. And they're all talking about how, like, they don't need to be there. They're not a Thor villain. Like, they can leave. <laughs> <laughs> and at some point, like, uh, what's his name? I think Silver Samurai is like, ooh, I want to be a Thor a Thor villain. Like, that sounds cool. And, like, just other people are just like, oh, when Maida shoots uh, Thor with with a gun, with a golden gun that shoots, like, a golden bullet that might have part of actual Midas's skin or human part in it. Blood. Then causes, yeah. Oh, is it blood? It okay, blood. did they explain that? And I just yep. skimmed over it? Yep. Okay, good. It happens good. sometimes. That's less gross than what I thought. I thought they just shot a gun, like a finger. No, oh, it's not even a bullet. It's just, it's just like ah, eat yeah. thumb, and they just shoot his but, thumb. Yeah, but I love that they 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 shoot Thor. Thor starts turning into gold, and they're just like, oh, maybe I could be a Thor villain. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I want to know because you work for a big company and there's a lot of like blah, blah, blah about, you know, company culture and, you know, mission statements and stuff. How do, how do they keep the rocks on mission statement of all of you are expendable and if anything happens to our boss, he's going to destroy the entire world out of spite? <laughs> how, do they, how do they keep that from being a discussion point around the water cooler is what I would like to know. Uh, I- 
I feel like you could probably ask anybody at Walmart or Amazon, and they would probably be able to give you a pretty accurate description of what that's like. They'd say, well, the benefits are good. (laughs) We don't have health care in this country. (laughs) I I do love the part where you hear... Where you hear that uh, that announcement from Agar, where he's like, yeah, so the Agar directive is in full effect. Everything's about to blow up. Feel free to take the rest of the day off. Yeah. I keep talking about Exterminatrix and Mida as if there were two different people. They're the same person. Yes. I, just, yes. I knew that. I did. Okay. I forgot. <laughs> I do like to see, um, you know, like villains you don't usually see hang out together. In the same panel, that's fun. Mm-hmm. Where it's yeah. like, ah, ah, the kingpin's here, hanging out. Uh, he, you know, he has these get-togethers with all the the bad guys who have to do with money. You know, it's not just like, you know, crazy people in the streets in crazy costumes. It's like, no, these people are like, you know, running the world because money. And uh, look at how evil they are. Yep. Oh, and heck, it always rules when Kingpin shows up. Yeah, I really like Kingpin. I wish he did a little bit more in yeah, here. Yeah, fair. Like, just, just something. I like like how he was in the tape, where he was, like, you know, respectful to all the other villains and Madame Mask, but really mad that he got outbid. You know, like, he was still, like, he was still Kingpin. This was like, well, we need to fill up three quarters of this table. Who can we draw? <laughs> Who can we draw? Aha! Kingpin, but there won't be room for this guy. We'll make him small. I don't know the. I don't know that villain's I thought that was a mistake at first, <laughs> and then it wasn't until they cut to another like view of that same scene where it's like, oh no, that's just a really tiny villain. That's not just perspective <laughs> being done weird. It's no, he's actually a little tiny. Yeah, that's funny. Just, just a wee little lass. I was surprised in that. In that. In that uh, room, no one has tried to squash him, you know, be like, take it, I'll take over his share, smack him with a briefcase. <laughs> just accidentally just accidentally put your book down on top of him. Or, you know, <laughs> samurai sword, what have you. What so, have you. Yeah. Yeah. This also felt like, I-, I liked this, but it did feel like, hey, we're just getting a little glimpse of, you know, the bigger story. Because the most compelling parts were, you know, what's, what's going on with Thor and... You know, her learning more about her powers and, you know, dealing with stuff and, and you know, coming into her own as, as Thor and filling that role and, like, figuring out, oh, my hair is talking to me. What the heck, you know? Because um, she relies on it a lot for a lot of things to, you know, find the bad guys, you know, and... Uh, oh, yeah. I, like, when I they, like Yeah. I, I didn't mention that, but, like, when they go to go look for Agar at the Arctic or whatever, and Jane just throws the hammer and tells it to find to find them. And it's mm-hmm. just zip, 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 zip around the ocean. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'm. That's that's something as far as like ranking this with others, other stories. That yeah, it's you know the same kind of problem we have with Superior Spider-Man. It's part of an ongoing story that will, I think, pay off in the end as being really satisfying. And but there there were parts of this that I was more I was more interested in the, in the you know Thor mythology and you know what Jane was doing with that and like oh crap she's you know she's not well when she's Jane Foster what's what's going to happen with like what's going on there and how's she going to you know is she going to be able to overcome you know like all of that 
But then the, this, you know, a villain who is like super bad and, you know, um, threatening other villains and stuff like that was all right. And it was like, OK, these are, you know, characters I haven't seen a million times. So that was OK. But really want to dig into that, uh, you know, Jane Foster Thor mythology. And this is all like leading up to War of the Realms, right? I think I it's. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like this is like right before it because they keep talking about like, you know, the different elves yeah, and Malekith we, we is out that. and about. Yeah. We get that tease at the end with that book that's actually called The War of the Realms. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, I think that's kind of the frustrating thing. It's one of the things that, I don't know, comics, like serialized storytelling, long-form storytelling like this, you need stories like this. The stuff that's like, this is just the, the bridge that gets you from the one big event to the next big event. There's cool stuff that happens. There's interesting stuff, but it's not world-shattering. It's not, this isn't anybody's first book. Uh, this isn't like you go out of your way to read this story. You read it as part of the longer Jason Aaron run on Thor or as part of the War of the Realms buildup or, as, you know, you, you really like Jane Foster, whatever it is. Um, right. And it's kind of tempting to say, well, let's get rid of all of this filler stuff and just go with the big events. And the trouble is, if you do that, it's exhausting. Yeah. To some extent, I... I don't know. This is this is maybe going too far, but to some extent, I think that's why you do have some people who are definitely experiencing like superhero movie fatigue because it's all that big stuff. I don't know. Again, maybe that's probably going too far, but regardless, it's like you need stories like this. I, I really genuinely believe that these little filler stories, and that's even probably too dismissive, but, you know, these act twos, these, you know, episode three in a 26 episode season the ones that are just kind of like carrying the story on they're so important they're so good and they're so vital to making the the whole experience of comics reading just like really tick but yeah this adds almost nothing to what we've already read and but if you look at a few issues here, a few issues there. By the end of it, rather than just, you know, one big story where it's hand waves like, oh, yeah, uh, Thor, she's friends with a, a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. We get to see little moments of them working together and have it build slowly so that the payoff in the end is much more rewarding because the story took its time and, you know, didn't just, you know, say, okay, here's the status quo. Here it is. Let's go. You know, you know, it says, okay, how do we get here? How did these characters come to rely on each other? You know, part of shield is hunting Thor. She also has this, you know, one of her closest friends and, and confidant by the end of it, because she reveals that Jane Foster is Thor. You know, I, I think that's more rewarding than being like, here's, here's Thor's, um, you know, agent on the inside, you know, we, we get, you know, them working together. I think that's, that's much better. Yeah. That's actually a good point because it does add, it doesn't add like thematic depth or raise the stakes significantly in the way that the superior Spider-Man story arc did, but it definitely mm-hmm. does add more threads, right? Yeah. And I guess it remains to be seen whether those threads really come back and pay off in a big way or whether it's just, this is, you know, one part of the tapestry. Either way, right. though, none of that is to say that this is bad. Like, I enjoy mm-hmm. it at, uh, probably around as much as I enjoyed the first part and want to keep reading more. The, the mystery of Mjolnir is kind of compelling the way that, you know, the Jane Foster is using this tool to aid her in her heroism and has to trust it but doesn't understand it. I don't know. Cool stuff. Yeah. This, I liked this more than the first trade because we're into it now, um, you know, because the first one was like, oh, there's a new Thor. Who is she? Who is she? Who is she? You know, and you're, you're 
distracted by those questions and this one we know who it is and it's more you know how is this going to play out and so you got to you know go along for the ride yeah i i actually do not have anything else to say about this I, yeah, I ran I ran out of stuff to say. A <laughs> <while> ago, <too>. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say. Now the big question is, you know, where do they fit? Because we lo- we liked both of these stories, yeah. but how much? Yeah, and I think I, I, you know, I think part of what's important to remember here is that we're kind of reading. Not that we don't want to read these books, but I think in part of our journey to read the full book, the full story, we have to read this stuff in the middle that maybe isn't as high-rankingly awesome as like the beginning and end of these books. Yeah. So here's here's my question. We know that the end result here is going to be to combine all of these stories, right? Yes. We are we are considering the Jane Austen Thor run <coughs> as one big story and i think this is actually like yeah you can kind of see where the trade paperback divisions are but yeah this Mm -hmm. definitely reads like one story same with superior spider-man do we start combining them now because i feel like with hawkeye for example we decided to combine hawkeye all together at the end but the individual stories kind of felt more distinct it isn't until the final like half where it really no you now need to kind of combine the whole thing and i think it doesn't work unless you combine the beginning so like i think that sort of decision making process made sense where we kept them separate until it was time to combine them here we know they're going to get combined we can see the through lines from the beginning should we combine them now i think either we we use it to raise or lower the ranking of the first part or screw that we rank them as individual stories and then look at them all together and kind of Based on how, how where all the other ones ended up, you know, yeah. do it then. I think we do it then. I think we wait. Also, you said uh, Jane Austen Thor <laughs> instead of Jane Foster. That's so immediately in my head. I was like, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single Thor in possession of a good hammer must be in want of a victory, <laughs> must be in want of a fight, must be in want of an ale. I don't even know what a Thor in possession of a good hammer in want of but that was so funny because i was like also the the movie mafia the official title for it is jane austen's mafia <laughs> this like spoof movie you know <laughs> oh my oh, gosh man. the jane, jane austen thor it's like pride and prejudice and mjolnir and <laughs> wood <laughs> like, <laughs> pride and prejudice and dark elves <laughs> oh, oh my gosh oh goodness okay so let's rank these stories then um, Wait, okay. Oh, I thought we were going to put it up to a vote. <laughs> oh, are we voting? Are we voting on how we're going to rank these? Let, let well, Aldo... Yeah. He, uh, yeah. Aldo, what's your what's your? Yeah, rate? listen, I'm not, I'm not allowed to vote because of very specific circumstances. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh. I, I I'm was going sad to again. Say, <laughs> I was going to say that we should rank this with... Or actually do what John's uh, prior suggestion was, which... To lump it in and move up and down. So add to add to the existing ranking as we read more of the story. That's kind yep. of here's the thing. That's actually kind of what I want to do too. Okay. Now I feel okay. bad because now it feels like we're screwing John over again. No, because John suggested it. Hey, <laughs> I'm these shoes are comfortable and I wear them often. 
It's. <laughs> I'm just saying, if John if John didn't want that, he shouldn't have suggested it. It was just like pop pop like a a possibility, a way to do it, and then immediately I gave another one, and I should have only been like, no, this is the only way. Wait and rank them. But since I'm outvoted, and I believe in democracy for some reason, I don't know why anyone still does. Because the <sighs> funny thing is, the funny thing is, I had an. I was ready to rank them individually until you mentioned that, and I was like, "Ooh, that sounds good." Curse my brilliant mind! <laughs> All right, brilliance, John. Okay, so currently on our list we have 190 stories, and after today's ranking, we're still going to have 190 stories, but we're going to move them around. Let's look first of all. Uh, the first arc of Superior Spider-Man, my own worst enemy, is currently at number 45. Does the second arc raise it up or lower it down? I think raise it. I think it raises it too. I'm not sure it raises it by much yet, but I think it goes higher. Do we also think of it as possibly even keeping it as is? Oh, that's true. It could keep it where it is. I think it raises yeah. it. I think it raises it. I think it raises it um, substantially. Oh, geez. It might actually raise it a fair bit. I would put it above Black Bolt Hard Time. Oh, I don't think I'd go quite that high yet, but I'm not I'm not that much. Oh, man. There's Beta Ray Bill. I, okay, so I really like In Pursuit of Flight. I think that's my ceiling, so I'm not that much lower than you. All right, we're saying raising it from 45 up to either 31 or 34. Or somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. I have a bit of a hard time. Where the story currently is, putting this above Karnak. Karnak is really solid. Yeah, and the complete story. So far. Uh, that's so far. true. That's true. Oh, and it's it's done. Yeah. Warren Ellis isn't getting back on that because he's a butt now. <laughs> That's like, part of me is like, good, let's get all this out in the open and let's not let people act like that ever again. And that's how it should be. Part of me is also like, oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, oh. Because, you know, there there were generations and generations and generations of people that you didn't know their private lives and, like, you just saw their work and s sometimes you have to separate the art from the artist, but then, then it comes back to, no, no, because they can't be allowed to act like this. They can't be allowed. So it's like, well, too bad. We get less stuff. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. And, yeah, and then you find out your favorite TikTok creator used to be a white supremacist and, you know, everything's just ruined. I don't have a favorite TikTok creator. I just laugh at, I just laugh at when babies and babies and animals are friends. Have you seen like a big dog? No, no, no. Let's. Like, I'm serious. Like a big, big dog and a baby. Mm -hmm. Like mm, the joy that that brings me. You could put on toast. You could just spread it and just because it's like the dog is so enormous. You're like that dog is gonna roll over and squish this baby. But the baby will just, like, grab the dog, two handfuls of tight baby fist fur, and, like, rip it out. And the dog is just like, I will protect the child. I will not let anything come to harm. And, like, somehow they don't hurt each other. Uh, well, I guess the baby kind of does hurt the dog. But, like, when, when babies and animals are friends, it's just precious. And I love it. But none of those people were white supremacists. They're just dogs and babies. <laughs> Anyway, number 37 actually seems like it might be okay for me. Like, I, I think the complete story argument is valid. Yeah, it's got to be, we got to, yeah, yeah. And as much as I love What If Magic Became Sorcerer Supreme, I, I think this did finally break through the ceiling of that one single what-if issue that we inexplicably love. Magic's a cool character. Um, uh, yeah, but I agree. 
Uh, that's a that's a single issue. This is ten issues. Yeah, ten. No, do we read eleven? Ten. Ten really great issues. So okay. Um. So thunder in her veins is currently at number fifty eight. Oh, I think this goes. This pushes that up. I. Mm-hmm. Kind of significantly. Actually, wait, that's not that far down, though. It's not. And it's like, what's yeah. right above that? We've got the Magic miniseries. We've got Spider-Man. We've got Wolverine. We've got, you know, those are a lot of really good stories. I'm not <laughs> sure. I actually almost want to keep the the Jane Foster, almost said Jane Austen again, the Jane Foster Thor <laughs> right there at 58. Again, I'm really liking it. I'm just not sure that it's getting into, because we're starting to get, we're not quite there, but we're starting to get to the, like, exceptionally good stuff and i don't think it's there yet but i also don't like this doesn't make it worse like this is still probably better than xavier's yeah i would put it above um a couple of these you know um we always (laughs) argue about truth red white and black and black panther and the clan just the art it's just the art bothers me um but i'm okay with leaving it where it is in, in like preparation for it to make a big leap forward you know Fingers crossed. Like, none of us have read this one. We don't know how it's going to pan out. That's true. I just know the broad strokes of some of Jane's, like, personal stuff. That today was the day, I didn't see it, but uh, Thor Love and Thunder, the uh, trailer trailer was released. And I know that parts of this are going to be featured there. Um, Yeah. And it's a Taika Waititi movie, so it's, it's, I'm just really excited. And the uh, poster I saw was really cool. Yeah, it's a fantastic trailer. I really enjoyed watching it multiple times that same day. Jerk. You've made your choice. <laughs> I am. <sighs> Hi, my name is John. It has been uh, seven years since my last trailer. Um, Folks, yeah. we've been going for so long. We need to wrap this up. Uh, yeah, I think. Daddy's got I bedtime. Think keeping it where it's at is fine. Yeah. Okay. A little anticlimactic, okay. I know, but. Um, not lack of quality that's keeping it here, I would say. Yeah, I think it just struggles a little bit to push past that ceiling. Yeah, but I, I, I'm i hopeful it will get there. Mm-hmm. Especially with a name like Thunder in Her Veins. Gosh, oh, I, I will gosh. never get over how how great of a name, a title that is. So good. Okay, so for our next episode, we've got a couple of stories that we're going to be reading uh, diving back in time to 1963 or thereabouts, the early days of the Uncanny X-Men. Uh, Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, issues 14, 15, and 16, which is the first appearance of the Sentinels. They look goofy, y'all. Yeah, I've read a lot of the early X-Men. I haven't read this. I think I've read the first 10 issues. So this will be yeah. interesting to see how it goes. My understanding is that that whole run is honestly not very good. And nah, we'll see. Um, and then while we're uh, we've we've kind of been on a kick of revisiting story arcs that we've started. Uh, we're gonna go back and read some more Squirrel Girl. So we're gonna read Squirrel Girl issues number one through five from the 2015 series, which is really frustrating because there were two series that came out in 2015. Uh, this is the second one. We already read the first one. Uh, so post Secret Wars reboot. Squirrel Girl and Time Travel should be should be a good time. Unless you don't like Ryan North, like some folks are wrong about. <laughs> I know what I'm about. 